Well, hey there. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Chase Oaks, and I'm excited to be in week two of our series looking at some of the final statements of Jesus before he died on the cross. We're calling this series Famous Last Words, and we, and we want to see if there's something that we can learn from these final moments before Jesus died. And the truth is, we don't actually learn new things. You know, it's not as if Jesus says, hey, oh, wait, there's something I almost forgot to tell you. Um, But what we do get is a fascinating glimpse at some of the things that were most core to who Jesus was. Kind of boils things down, these final statements, to to some of the things that were most important to him. You know, what Jesus is going to say in the verses that we are going to look at will reveal and we'll we'll talk about a foundational truth of, of who Jesus was and of Christianity, but... Actually, it is a truth that is a little bit easier to understand sometimes for people that are outside the Christian faith than for those of us who are already Christ followers. Because we're going to talk about the humanity of Jesus and the fact that he that it is very, very important that he was and that we see him as a person just like you and just like me. Jesus came as an ordinary person so that he could identify with and relate to uh, and connect with ordinary people. And as a bit of an illustration of that, I'm, going to, I'm doing something a little bit different today. Today, I am in one of the studio spaces of an artist that I really respect by the name of Cedric Huckabee. And throughout this talk, you're going to see a good bit of Cedric's work. And um, I actually did an interview with Cedric as a part of this sermon as well. And I'll show a little bit of that. Um, a, a little bit later, but Cedric is, uh, he's an artist here in DFW. He is uh, an award-winning, highly sought-after uh, artist who has work in galleries and museums and exhibitions and permanent collections all over the country. Uh, but he probably, as well as any artist that I know, just does a masterful job at capturing um, the ordinariness of, of people that matter in the eyes of God. And so you're going to see some of his work sort of scattered through as I talk. You know, for those, um, for people who aren't Christians, um, it is not hard to believe that Jesus was fully human. I mean, because that's what he was. You know, I mean, he was an historical figure. And there's not uh, really any historian that doubts or, you know, that, that, that doubts the fact that there was a person named Jesus of Nazareth who walked on the planet, um, who is arguably one of the most influential people um, in the history of the world. Um, but then many of us, we, we read uh, about what he did and what he said and who he interacted with and the miracles that he, that he performed, and, and, we, and we consider his crucifixion and the resurrection and the life change of people that were close to him and the resurrection, all of those things. And millions of people over the last 2,000 years have then come to the conclusion that he wasn't just a man, that he was God and that he was who he claimed to be. Now, I realize that not everyone who's listening to me right now believe that, and that's fine. And, and not everyone listening to me right now would consider themselves Christians or, um, or even religious. And you might come from different religious backgrounds and, and all of that. And I just want you to know that, wh- that wherever you're coming from, whatever you believe, whatever kind of religious background you have, you are completely welcome here. Uh, and I'm just glad you're on the journey and you're, you're open to, to learn new things. Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to move to another room. There's some more artwork that I want to show you, so let's pick it up here in just a second. 
Okay, we're in a different part of Cedric's studio. This is part of a, uh, the, the work on the walls here is part of a show called The 99%, where he did um, just drawings of people in his life, um, down the street, neighbors, um, barbers, you know, things like that. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful show. Okay, so Christian theology teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And for those who were not um, Christians or Christ followers, uh, the hardest part of that equation to believe is the, is the part of Jesus being fully God. I mean, it's, it's kind of a lot to believe that a historical figure that was walking around on the planet is also the creator of the universe. You know, that's a, that's a lot to swallow. But for those of us who do believe that, that Jesus was God in the flesh, once we make that leap into believing that he's divine, it then becomes a little bit difficult to believe that he was fully human. You know, we, we think that he's sort of human-like, you know, and he sort of looked like a human or whatever. And when you hear Christians talk about Jesus, it's almost like they're describing um, God in a sort of a skin suit, you know, kind of God on the inside and human on the outside and very different and other than, than you and me. And that's, that's depicted in artwork, certainly, in the way that he's sort of traditionally been depicted. Um, it's hard for us to imagine him as he most likely really was, um, like this. Now, why is Jesus depicted this way? Now, first and, and most obvious, um, because for centuries, uh, the most prominent Christian art uh, has been created by white people, <laughs> and that's why he always looks European, and um, it's, he also always has like really great hair, and I'm not sure what the story is behind that. Uh, we usually depict him as tall, you know, which gives him a sense of authority uh, over the people around him. Um, he's usually depicted as pretty calm. Um, usually somewhat handsome, at least to sort of white Western European sensibilities, and, and usually depicted as a little bit aloof, you know, like he always has like more important things on his mind, like, like this maybe. Or sometimes he's shown in one of his uh, Jesus poses, you know, like, like this, or like this, or like this, or like this. Now, beyond the ridiculous pale skin of those uh, of those paintings, um, I think I think this type of artwork reveals a type of Christianity that is uncomfortable with Jesus's humanity, uncomfortable with his ordinariness. In reality, Jesus was a laborer. He was a carpenter who worked and lived near Galilee 2,000 years ago. And because of the time and the place and the ethnicity of Jesus, we know that he would have had darker skin. He would have had dark eyes. He would have had black hair. Um, it would not have, his hair would not have been long and straight. It would have been bushy. Um, he was a working-class guy that, that grew up poor, which means he would have been strong. Um, it's possible he would not have been that clean, at least to our standards. It's possible he didn't smell that great. Um, he was a friend of the roughest and the wildest people in his culture, which means he probably didn't walk around, you know, posing. And, and archaeologists uh, tell us that the average height of, of a male living in that region at that time would have been somewhere uh, between five foot and five foot six, which, um, 
raises an interesting question. I mean, can you worship someone shorter than you? The only thing the Bible tells us about Jesus' appearance um, is comes from the book of Isaiah, who tells us that there was nothing about his appearance that would draw us to him, which means that Jesus was an unremarkable, ordinary, perhaps even unattractive man. And for some of you, I just ruined your day, and I'm sorry about that. It's not my intent, um, but my intent is to, to draw our attention to his ordinariness because the fact that he was fully human and fully ordinary is very good news for us. First, theologically speaking, it's important that Jesus was fully human so that we could have a substitute. Uh, Christian theology is one of the key tenets or pillars of Christian theology is built upon this notion that the penalty for rebellion against God is death. And so uh, throughout the Old Testament, that is pictured in in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so if you look through the Old Testament, you'll see all of these animal sacrifices for different types of sins. But the issue with those animal sacrifices is that they never actually did anything. They were just a picture of the seriousness of the penalty of sin. And it was a sacrifice that people had to do over and over, and it was sort of kept in front of them. But we, but we read in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the Old Testament sacrificial system was a picture of the penalty of sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, that penalty was actually paid. As God, it could be a a huge payment for all of humanity, but as human, since Jesus was fully God and fully human, he could actually address human sin. Because the problem with the sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrificial system, is that the penalty for human sin had to be paid by a human. So if, if God was going to jump in and do this work for us, if he was going to provide salvation for us, he had to become one of us, fully not just a a puppet. However, that theological necessity that Jesus be fully man does not require that he be a poor, ordinary man. I mean, he could have come as a different type of person. He could have come, instead of coming in poverty and experiencing all of the hardship uh, that he experienced, he could have come in wealth and in power. He could have been fully human and still shielded himself from much of the heartache and hardship that he experienced. I mean, now, you know, if you were to ask someone who's wealthy, that they would be the first to say that wealth doesn't completely insulate, you know, from problems and pain and that kind of stuff. However, wealth and power do have their advantages. Jesus could have come as one, you know, in, in ultimate wealth and ultimate power, and his life would have been easier. But that's not what he did. The manner in which Jesus came, the life that he lived, the miracles he, he performed, The people that he hung out with and the way that he died reveal important things about who Jesus was and what he cared about. We're going to look at two of the final things that Jesus said before he died. Uh, Both of them related to one another and both related to, to his humanity. The first is found in John 19, 28 and 29, which says this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
This is one of those passages we can tend to read on by, like as we search for more important verses. But this is important because God doesn't get thirsty. You know, the Bible teaches that um, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the second person of that Trinity, God the Son. And so when God the Son came and became human, that was the first time God experienced things like um, hunger and thirst. That was the first time he had experienced need. That was the first time that he, would, that he left the perfect environment of, of heaven and, and found himself surrounded by sin and all of its um, consequences and all that went along with that. You know, for us to think about God becoming human, it might not seem that strange. That's because we're human. But for the angels looking on, that would have been the strangest, craziest, most outlandish thing that God would ever do. And the question they would have been asking is, why would God do something like that? Not just become human. Why would he become just an ordinary human, a poor ordinary human, and experience all of the hardship uh, that Jesus experienced? And Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews gives us a little bit of an answer. Hebrews 4 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So Jesus was fully human so that we could have a substitute and Jesus was an ordinary human so that we could have an advocate. Not having a, um, not having a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses means that Jesus was a normal guy who experienced what normal people experience. And it's not so much that Jesus needed to know uh, what it was like to be us as much as we need to know that he knows what it's like to be us. I mean, how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody and shared something that you were going through and they said, oh, I understand how you feel? I mean, what is the first thing that pops into your mind at that moment? It's usually one of three things. It's, it's, it's either, no, you don't. Or it's, yeah, I, I know that you do because you've been through a lot. Or it's, tell me again how it is you feel like you know what I'm going through or how I feel. I mean, is there some story that I'm missing that I don't know about? You know, when, when we have a view of Jesus that's similar to that artwork that I showed a little bit earlier, you know, of Jesus as, as transcendent and other and so different from us, we lose the... Um, Sometimes we lose the fact that Jesus knows exactly what it is that we're going through, and he understands what it means to be us. He knows what it's like to resist temptation. He knows how much strength is needed to do that. He knows how hard it is to maintain love and grace toward others when he's experiencing physical discomfort and pain. He knows how hard it is to maintain his trust in God when, when the, the, his, his human relationships and his friends abandon him. And betray him. He knows how hard this is. And he understands. And his throne is a throne of, of grace and not shame. And so when we come to him, we can come to him in confidence. Because he's going to offer forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. Because he knows how hard this is. He understands. 
And so when we, can, when we come to him in our pain and we come to him in our struggle and all of the things that, that we wrestle with, he can truly say, I understand. I've been there. I've been through that. I know what, what you need. I know what, what kind of strength you need to get through this. And he wants to walk with us through it and give us his strength. So the humanity of Jesus is important. He was fully human so that we could have a substitute. He was an ordinary human so that we can have an advocate. And lastly, he was a model human so that we could have a guide. Okay, I'm in a different spot in uh, Cedric's studio, and I just love this painting. This one's still in process, and it's just amazing. Um, Okay, Paul in Philippians tells us this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's telling us to have the same mindset that Christ Jesus had, to think the way that he thought. So the things that we've been talking about, that Jesus' humanity and the way that he lived his life is not just sort of theologically important, and it doesn't just sort of change the way that we think about Jesus or the way that we think Jesus thinks about us. It's supposed to change the way that we live. It's supposed to change the way that we think as we begin to think the way that Jesus thought and we begin to care about the things that he cared about. You know, throughout this, uh, throughout this talk, you've been seeing artwork from, uh, from Cedric Huckabee, who I just think does such an amazing job at capturing the importance and the value and the nobility of, of ordinary people. I was able to do uh, an interview with Cedric. Uh, I want to show you just a, a portion of that conversation. And this is something I've, I've kind of always wanted to ask you, um, is that, you are able to capture the individuality and the ordinariness of ordinary folk, you know, that are, that, like you said, down the street or people in your family or that kind of stuff. But when I see them, there is a sense of kind of nobility about them. And I'm not sure if that's intentional or if that's something that's in your mind, you know, um, that there's, Talk to me about that. Is that something that is, um, that, that you, that you try to do intentionally or does that, I'm not sure how to ask this question. Maybe, maybe you know kind of what I, I'm trying to get at. I do, and from from very early on, it was my it's it's been my endeavor to um, try to show the importance, the beauty, the um, magnificence of everyday people, hmm. because for the most part, you know what we see when if you're the internet, if you're watching television, if you're watching a movie, or whatever it is, you see the celebrities, you see the people with the big names, and they're put in front of us as, you know, this is what people is like. But everyday people, um, a lot of, in, in a lot of my work, you'll see people that, you, you know, they're, they're not celebrities. And right. unless you know them personally, you will never know them. Right. But it's talking, I'm, I'm always trying to make the discussion that, um, they're just as valuable 
hmm. as a celebrity or as anybody else that you would see in the media. Yeah. The rest of that conversation is just fascinating, and I invite you to watch the whole thing. Uh, it will be on our website. Also, if you're watching this right now on YouTube, the link to that, uh, to that video will be in the description of this video. If you would like to follow Cedric's work and learn more about him, um, you could go to HuckabeeStudios.com and, uh, and, see, and see more about what Cedric is up to. I love that Cedric doesn't just overlook ordinary people so that he could get to the more important things to talk about. There is a noticing of the people that God cares about that forces us to notice. There's a sense of, of, of nobility that he brings out in each person because each person matters. The lives and the cares and the concerns of ordinary people matter. For me personally, it is I need artists like Cedric because even as a pastor, I am prone to thinking, I am prone to think about um, abstract thoughts and big ideas and national issues. And I can sort of find myself overlooking uh, the cares and the concerns of the peoples that are, that are right in my life. And so uh, Cedric brings me back to people's faces and brings me back to the actual lives of actual people, the people that are actually in my life. People that God is passionately pursuing, for whom God sent his son to relate to, to connect with, to love, to care for, and to ultimately save. I think that adopting the same mind as Christ, I think that following Jesus looks a lot like caring and being concerned for the cares and concerns of ordinary people. Just a moment ago, we looked at one of the final statements of Jesus uh, out of John 19. I want to look at another statement of Jesus, one of the final things that he said before he died on the cross. It's in the same chapter, um, this time, so John 19, 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, four women, three of whom named Mary. Very common name. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved. Now, let me stop right there. That is, John is writing this, and that is how John refers to himself in the gospel that Jesus wrote. He, 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 he refers to himself as the, the disciple that Jesus loved, which I just love. That's amazing. When Jesus saw his mother there and John, the disciple whom he loved, standing Nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, if you know Jesus' birth story, you know that Jesus' earthly father was a guy named Joseph. Now, by the time um, Jesus begins his ministry, around the age of 30, Joseph is never mentioned, and we're never told what happened to him. Uh, most assume that Joseph died while Jesus was um, young, um, regardless of whatever that story is. By this time, Joseph is not in the picture because at this moment, while Jesus is on the cross, he is handing over the responsibility for the care of his mother um, and he's handing, handing her over to his disciple, John. Now, this is noteworthy because uh, as the, as the firstborn, as the eldest son, care for his mother, who was a widow, would have been his responsibility. 
But typically, that responsibility would have passed to a younger sibling upon his death. And we know that Jesus had siblings. James, who wrote the epistle of James, was, was Jesus' younger brother. And James would later become a leader or the leader of the Jerusalem church. So he was a very prominent and important early Christian leader. But it, it's, it's likely that James did not come to faith in his brother, full faith in Jesus, until after seeing Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead. And, and in fact, we don't know that any of Jesus' siblings were, were his followers at the time of his crucifixion. Jesus was abandoned by just about everybody. But John is there. And John sort of acts as this representative of this small seed, this new community of faith that would carry on God's heart for the most vulnerable in society. And for them, that was widows and orphans. And so Jesus wants his mother, a widow, to be well cared for. And so he, he hands that responsibility off to John, his disciple, and not James, his brother. Throughout the Bible, God reveals his special heart for those in society, those in our culture who um, are the most vulnerable. The poor, the immigrant and the refugee, the prisoner, the widow, the orphan. And it's all over scripture. Verses like this, like Isaiah chapter 1, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Or this out of Deuteronomy chapter 10. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And notably, James chapter 1. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now that is James, Jesus' younger brother, saying that. So years after Jesus' death and resurrection, James is saying, if you want to follow my older brother, this is what you do. You watch your own life, not everybody else's life, you watch your own life, and you do what you can to take care of those that are the most vulnerable around you. Now imagine what the reputation of the church and of Christians would be if those were the things, if those two things were the things that we were known for. Looking after our own lives and taking care of the most vulnerable in our society. God pays special attention to people who are um, treated unjustly who are vulnerable, who are under-resourced, and he is concerned about more than just their spiritual state. He wants them also to be well-fed. He cares that they're clothed and shown justice and taken care of. He cares about their souls. He also cares about their bodies and their well-being. And Jesus modeled that. I mean, think about the miracles that Jesus did. There were a lot of miracles Jesus could have done to demonstrate that he was God, to demonstrate his power. He could have flown around. He could have grown real big and shouted real loud so that everyone could hear. He could do superhero stuff. You know, think Avengers movies. Like he could have done any of those things to demonstrate his power. But instead, he, demonstrate, he demonstrates his power in a way that also demonstrates his heart. So he feeds people. 
and he heals the sick. And I think it's amazing that one of the last statements as he's, as he's hanging on the cross reveals his concern for the financial well-being of a widow. That's what's on his mind. That's what he cares about. And that should teach us something about what he feels is important. Okay, I'm back in the chapel room of, uh, of Cedric Huckabee's studio. Jesus, Jesus cared about the whole person. Now, his mission to earth was to provide a spiritual rescue, but he also wanted for the hungry to be fed, and he wanted for the poor and the sick to be cared for. That's why following Jesus and Christianity is not a decision between the spiritual or the physical. It's both. So we can talk about the message of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. We can also talk about the cleanliness of neighborhoods. We can care about biblical doctrine and health care. We can talk about eternal truths and healthy food. We can talk about theology and justice. We can care about souls and bodies. So whatever needs you come across, whether they be physical or emotional or spiritual, or relational. I think following Jesus means doing what we can to meet those needs because that is what Jesus modeled for us and because the ordinary cares and concerns of ordinary people matter to God. In just a moment, um, I'm going to pray and I'm going to thank God for sin. I'm going to thank God the Father for sending his son in the way that he did. Since Jesus was fully human, we can have a substitute who could pay the penalty of our sins and give us hope of eternal life. Because Jesus was an ordinary human, we can have an advocate who truly understands what it means to be us. And he truly knows how hard this is. And he's with us and he wants to give us his strength. Since he was a model human then we can have a guide. And we're not just left to flounder to figure this out on our own and figure out what should or should not be our priorities. God has done everything a good God could do to provide for all of our needs. So let's pray and thank him. Heavenly Father, um, it is amazing to think that you would send your son for us. And that your son would leave the perfect environment of heaven and take on all of humanity and all of that means. And that he would pay the penalty for our sin, but that he would also experience the things that we experience and offer his help. And then, and then uh, be our guide to show us how to live life to the full. Father, we thank you. And we pray that we might have lives that, that please you and that start to approximate Jesus' heart. And that he might be seen in us as individuals and in us as a community. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.